Hello, it is that time of the week again. It's time for Across the Pond. We're back again, except this time, uh, you know, it's it's on a different day. We're on, on Tuesday. It feels like it's been, uh, it's quite recent since we had our last episode, Barry. Um, so, you know, we, we kind of tried to pull as much as we could into the agenda. But for a change, uh, we are fairly on time. I've already had a friend of mine complain that we weren't <laughs> on time. Um, but, you know, four minutes in, we've had a one one minute countdown. I think we're doing okay. It bodes really well for a good episode, Chad. <laughs> on time with a brand new locale once again. But like you say, we kind of roll with the punches here across the pond. And uh, one of the joys of both having full-time jobs is we have to keep moving things around to try and make it make sense, Chad. Uh, but really glad to be here. It's certainly one of the highlights of my week. And looking at the notes, I'm really exciting. It's going to be a really good episode, I think. I think so too. I mean, uh, nothing is super crazy to, to, to chat about, but I think we can just have one of those smooth-flowing conversations where anything really is on the agenda um we, we just want to have need to be more conversational i guess and less uh taking things off um which is which is what we tried to do here on across the pond indeed indeed if you listen to some of our earlier episodes we were very much like newscasters chad we would just kind of go through the list <laughs> yeah. and try and hit all the facts and i think that's because we were a little bit nervous in the beginning we're still figuring this whole podcasting thing out and over time we've got a little bit better at kind of getting the conversation flowing and so that's definitely the goal is to kind of keep it as informal as possible yeah. and to interact as best we can and kind of run through some of the stuff that we find fascinating which uh, other people might not but we think it's awesome chad so that's why we're here Absolutely. And that's uh, this is our platform for that. Anything that uh, crosses our minds that we want to talk about, this is the place for that. I do want to quickly give a special shout out uh, to our mate Raf who's tuned in for the first time live. Um, he's always he's always been trying to catch up um, and, uh, you know, listens to every single episode, but really cool to, to have him joining live as well. Uh, so yeah, that's it. Let's get straight into this episode. The week that was. Barry, how was your week, by the way, before we go into the week that was? How was your week? It's been so insane, Chad. Um, run, running a business has been one of the most like fulfilling but also tiring mm. experiences of my whole life. I, I thought I was working crazy hours when I was in investment banking. And I realized that when you're running your own business, it's a different ball game entirely. So I'm a little bit tired, Chad. Uh, yeah. But otherwise, it's been a decent week. or Everything's gone, gone to plan so far. So keeping all the balls in the air. Um, how about your week? That's good. I'm glad you're not dropping any balls. That's the, the primary aim. Yeah, d- decent week, to be honest. Uh, this week, I was talking about last week, is the week of, of the next stage of easing uh, in, in the UK. So yeah, basically you can now go to restaurants, you can have friends over all that kind of stuff. I've still not done any one of those things, uh, which is always interesting, but at least, you know, the fact that you can do it, uh, is really good. And I guess all of us have a bit of a spring in our step. Um, and yeah, everything's looking really busy. I, I actually went into the office today and, uh, you know, the public transport system is, is right back up there. Uh, you're fighting for your, your place on the escalator, when trying to get out of the station, uh, and uh, yeah, it, it's definitely getting getting a lot busier. So I guess it's a good sign. Uh, but we've had all of those concerns about the Indian variant as well. So uh, you know, you, it's kind of a mixed one. You, you really don't know how to feel uh, at any point in time. 
I was watching the FA Cup final on the weekend, which was at Wembley, mm. and they had 20,000 fans in Wembley. And just watching the fans back in a football stadium was, awesome. was quite an emotional moment almost because it was like that yeah. reminder of what we've missed for the last year. And uh, it's really cool to see. So whether that's going to be a super spirit event, we have no idea. <laughs> but those 20,000 fans in Wembley, let's just say they didn't have their marks on all the time, Chad. Yep. And quite a few of them were using them as chin straps. So let's just uh, keep that in mind. Interesting. I mean, how, how was it though? Does it, did it change the, the nature of the game? Did the players have any more energy? I mean, 20,000 is still a decent number. Uh, all of those sort of events I've heard of being trialed were up to kind of 4,000. I know uh, there was a Brit Awards uh, two weeks ago, I think, uh, and I think it was 4,000 people there. Was 20,000 enough to, to get some atmosphere going in the, in the stadium and get the players uh, performing more than they generally do? Although, let's face it, uh, football players are actors. Uh, but I'll, I'll keep that for another day. <laughs> just, just sliding that little jab in there, Chad. I like that. Um, <laughs> uh, yes and no. I mean, Wembley is a ginormous stadium. So even yeah. 20,000 kind of looks a bit sparse. And so it didn't look packed by any stretch of the imagination. And it was very, very spread out. So it's hard to say. What was really cool for me is that the actual sound effects were real this time. Instead of some okay, quote yeah, with the yeah. FIFA pushing soundboards to say ooh or ah or yay yeah, or, or nay, yeah. there were actual real supporters singing songs and stuff. So that was really cool to see. Uh, I'm sure it made a difference to the fans because I mean, not to the fans, but to the players yeah. because they've been playing in front of empty stadiums for so long now. It might have been quite a jarring experience really to kind of have people back in the stadium mm. hurling insults at you, hurling praise at you in different ways. Um, was really cool to see from my perspective. Nice. Well, I'm glad you had that. Uh, yeah, as a supporter, you were able to lap up all of that atmosphere from from yeah from the TV screen and not having that artificial sound those artificial sound effects, which for me just they just never hit the same spot. Um, so that's yeah enough of me rambling. Some of the stuff we wanted to talk about that happened this past week, uh, Barry. I don't know. Are you or are you not a fan of Friends? Chad, how dare you ask a question? <laughs> how dare you? Of course. I'm a big fan of Friends. Um, it's, it's it's one of those shows that I've watched multiple times, and it's one of those guilty pleasure shows that are just perfect when you're having a rough day or if it's kind of a, a home Netflix day and you just don't want anything yep. too crazy. You want something quite mindless and easy to watch that just gives you a bit of a chuckle. Friends is a great place to go. Um, and, of course, it's one of the biggest TV shows of all time. So it's really, really yeah. ginormous show that um, I think is is timeless in a way. It, what, what, I, what I think about when I watch Friends is that all the sitcoms that came after it just basically copied the Friends yeah. uh, formula, right? For sure. If you look at any of the sitcoms after that, the, the modern, the Big Bang Theory, um, How Much Your Mother, all of these modern shows, they're just reruns of Friends with different characters. <laughs> and so it's an iconic show you have to have seen, Chad, basically. Yeah, and it's those re-watching the, the whole series over and over again. So many people I know have watched it countless number of times. And it just it's one of those shows that just never gets old. Somehow it has stood the test of time. But at the same time, we always, you know, long for new content uh, in whatever sort of platform or series it is. Uh, and so this, I think it's been, it's been 16 years, something like that. Uh, the Friends reunion that's been on the cards for so long has now officially been announced, has been acknowledged. Uh, it's going to be aired on HBO Max, uh, and it's going to be a, a special. Uh, it's going to be a an unscripted episode, which is very interesting. And it's got it's not to do with the storyline. It's it's not an extension of the series as we've watched it up up until now. It's effectively going to be the whole cast 
as themselves, uh, along with a whole bunch of special guests, Barry. Now, here's some of the names. Uh, we got David Beckham, Justin Bieber, BTS, James Corden, Cindy Crawford, Cara Delevingne, Lady Gaga, Kit Harrington, uh, and a whole bunch of others. It, it certainly you know, is uh, it certainly is going to be an interesting bit of viewing, uh, I'm going to say, uh, especially because it's going to be them as themselves just walking through the set, walking through, um, you know, what what used to be, I guess, their playing ground uh, and sharing some experiences and stories of, of how it was way back then. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, Chad, because they're in a difficult position because this reunion, like you say, has been it's been teased for years and years and years now. Yeah. And so the expectations are relatively high. <laughs> and so it's it's very tough to pull off a show that's going to actually please these diehard fans that have been waiting for this for so long. And I think it's a good idea not to go like a scripted, scripted route because yeah. the way that Friends ended, it was one of the most iconic endings to a TV show ever. And you kind of don't want to mess with that. You don't want to like, I remember thinking about the Harry Potter ending where they brought back um, like Harry 20 years later and their, and their sons and stuff. And it just kind of, it ruined the experience for me a little bit. Mm. And so it makes a lot yeah. of sense to end Friends where it ended and then let them be themselves and kind of walk through the behind the scenes. Um, so I'm curious to see what they're going to do with it. I don't know how they're going to fit all these A-star guests into the, <laughs> into the special somehow. Um, but I, I certainly want to try and find a way to watch it, Chad. I don't know how to in South Africa, but I'm sure I'll find a way. Um, are you excited to see it? Yeah, very keen. Again, uh, on that point of how to watch it, I don't know how I'm going to see it here in the UK either. Um, it's going to obviously be premiered in the US uh, first, and it's going to be on May the 27th, as I said, on HBO Max. Um, but yeah, how are we going to actually be able to see it anywhere else in the world is yet to be seen. I think Friends was on Netflix at some point, and it was then moved over uh, to HBO, where you know where it now lives and where this obviously uh, special will will sit. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I bet there's going to be a whole lot of appetite. And so I guess they're going to have to make it accessible somehow. Yeah, definitely. And even if it's not accessible, the amount of people who are going to torrent it and are going to screen record and do whatever they yeah. can to get their hands on it is going to be huge. Um, and yeah, it's interesting to see what they do with it. And I think it's... It's hard to see those characters like 20 years on though, Chad. Hmm. Like I don't know yep. if you've seen like say Matt LeBlanc or um, Matthew Perry or any of them these days. Yep. They look nothing like what they used to look like in the sitcom. Um, and so it's a bit strange to, to kind of see, be a little bit strange to see them all together. And I wonder what it's going to be like for them kind of going back to those those old hunting grounds that they kind of made them who they are. And exactly. in every single one of their cases that made their career – and arguably, it's only Jennifer Aniston who really kind of transcended Friends. The rest of them kind of, you, you only ever think of them as as that character in Friends. Mm. So I think Jen Aniston was the only one who kind of was able to build a career past that show. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see like how emotional it is and, and, and how nostalgic it is to go back to those those hunting grounds. Yeah, I think I think they still they still kind of socialize amongst each other. Um, I saw it was on a, a talk show or something where, you know, someone called through and they all happen to be together. Um, so I, I think they, they do still hang out. But, uh, you know, it certainly will be interesting to let them kind of let in the rest of the world uh, on all those personal jokes and, uh, and other references. Uh, and, yeah, talking about what they did with their careers after the show, I mean, Matt LeBanc, we've, we've, got to, we've got to remember him trying to do Top Gear, Barry, um, which, you know, <laughs> is, is not quite the same as, uh, as Jeremy Clarkson, is it? 
<laughs> you can't do Top Gear without Jerry Clarkson. I, I don't yeah. even know why they tried to continue it. The moment that, that those three left, it just, the show yeah. just fell apart, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, it's one of those shows that you just can't imagine anyone else in, the, in those roles. Um, and so, yeah, it was a, it was a, I mean, I'm sure they paid him a lot of money and I'm sure he enjoyed the experience, but very, very forgettable, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh, yeah, I didn't really watch too much of it after, after the three departed. I mean, I've got, they've got their own show now on, on Amazon. Uh, still haven't watched that. So I wonder whether it, it lives up to the previous glory of, of Top Gear. Um, but anyway, that's a story for another day, but keeping on the topic, Barry, of, uh, of broadcasting, uh, one of the. I guess it's the second biggest, you know, chat show hosts in the world. Uh, I'm thinking second to Oprah uh, is Ellen DeGeneres. And, uh, you know, we heard last year of a whole kind of scandal about a toxic work environment. Uh, you know, three senior executives were, were fired or lost their jobs, certainly after all that was, um, you know, announced and, and released. Uh, and, and of course, you know, we, we have to remember Ellen delivering the, the personal kind of apology on air. Uh, which happened last September. And uh, effectively, what we have now is, and I don't know if this is related or unrelated, uh, she says it's not. <laughs> but uh, the Ellen Show, Barry, is going to be no longer. It's a weird it's a weird sentence to say it. Like it doesn't, it feels like it doesn't want to come out of my mouth uh, because the Ellen Show is so iconic for, for so many different reasons. Of course, it's related, Chad. It, it's definitely related. Like, like yeah. I know they're going to try and spin some story that this was a, a decision that they made, but unfortunately, like Ellen lost her cultural cachet. She lost that that authority mm. as the number one talk show in the world because of all the drama. And whether it whether it's true or not is irrelevant because the cancel culture just took over, and she lost that trust with her audience. I don't know about you, Chad, but. After that scandal, I haven't seen any clips of Ellen. I've seen nothing go viral. I haven't seen any yep. like real, real publicity from her show in a time where everyone's stuck at home in lockdown. And so what I think happened, and I'm going, my guess is that they lost a lot of their audience throughout the scandal. Yep, and when they came back, they just couldn't make it work. Um, and so whether that's all the reason or part of the reason is definitely mm -hmm. a factor. I'm, yep. I'm sure she's also tired of it. Like, Chad, I don't know about you, but I couldn't imagine doing a daily talk show every single day. Imagine we did Across the Pond every <laughs> single day, Chad, and had to come up with an hour yep. plus of content every single day and keep excited and keep, like, enthusiastic about things. I don't know about you, but I, I don't know if I could take myself talking for that much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, fair enough. Uh, I guess as, your, as yourself, you probably wouldn't, wouldn't enjoy it so much. But Barry... If every single day you were coming across, you know, A-list celebrities and uh, witnessing one-on-one -on -one performances and uh, doing all sorts of really exciting stuff, I don't know. I, I could I could be keen for that kind of uh, position, to be honest. Uh, but but it must be hard. It must be hard doing a daily uh, talk show. I mean, all of us have our ups and downs. Um, you know, somehow every week when we come here, we manage to to put ourselves in the right frame of mind. So I do think we could do it. Uh, but whether it's something you want to do is, I guess, another question. And especially when, you know, you've got this, when you're behind this limelight and, uh, you know, fighting, I guess, your internal conflicts. But uh, on the outside, you've got a world of scrutiny and cancel culture and uh, a dropping viewership, all of those things to contend with. Uh, it certainly isn't an easy equation to, to balance. And also, we forget that she's done like three thousand episodes, or more yep. than three thousand episodes yeah. at this point. Like that's a lot of that's it a is. lot of TV. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I, I for one, I'm a big believer in kind of leaving when you're on top, and kind of leaving mm -hmm. 
not when people are literally pushing you out, but when you kind of feel like you've you've had enough. So if that's the case, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah. maybe she just gets up every day and she realizes she doesn't have that same passion or that same enthusiasm as she used to as she used to say. I saw a quote of hers somewhere saying that she doesn't find it a challenge anymore, which yeah. I completely understand yeah. because I'm yeah. sure in the first year or two you you kind of you're desperately trying to put your best foot forward. You're trying to make for a sure. name for yourself. You're trying to walk in the, in this ginormous shadow that is Oprah Winfrey, and you're trying mm -hmm. to like prove yourself. Um, but after a while, you realize after after you've interviewed Justin Bieber for the twenty fourth time, Chad, like how much more can you actually talk about him? Fair, you know, like fair. how much yeah. more is there to say? Yeah. Um, and so maybe there is a moment to kind of step away and, and and look at other things. Like maybe she can look at new projects and and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And the curious thing is is who's going to step into those shoes, Chad? We, we've got a couple talk show hosts at the moment. Katie Clarkson is one that comes to mind, and right. there's a couple of these these celebrities that are in the space. Um, but also another question I wanted to ask you, Chad, is that what do you think of the impact of of YouTube is on all of these shows? I read a fascinating article a while ago about how all of these late night shows. So if you think Jimmy Fallon, James Corden, all of these yeah. guys, they've got basically no viewership actually when it's being aired. And okay. all they're trying to do is come up with viral clips so they can put it on the internet and that's how they get their, their money. That's how they get their viewership. Mm -hmm. And so my gut said that these sorts of daily talk shows slash uh, late night shows are just being completely cannibalized by the type of YouTube, YouTube content that's coming out these days. Um, and all they actually are doing is is trying to create those clips. And I would love to hear a response to that, that little uh, suggestion. Yeah, I think it's a great observation. Uh, I think you're spot on. I mean, I, I've, I've been on YouTube many times down many a random rabbit hole uh, following all of, you know, Ellen's dances with various people and, you know, performance of certain musicians and random segments. And, and you're right, they, they do release a whole lot of it uh, straight onto YouTube. So, uh, I mean, it's an interesting, it's an interesting point to mention just because of, I guess the change in our in our behaviors and the change in our in our patterns. Uh, I remember I don't know if you do Barry getting home from the end of uh, of school or high school back in the day and sitting on the couch watching your uh, your various talk shows. Uh, I one that comes to mind is a South African one, uh, Three Talk with Nolin Maholwana Sangu. <laughs> How's that? Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's a blast from the past. I haven't heard that name in a long time, Chad. Gee, whistle. <laughs> yeah, but you're completely right. I think that that is how the TV used to be, right? You used to know, okay, cool, at 4.30, this was on, at 5.30, exactly. this was on, and it would become part of your daily routine. But we just don't watch TV like that anymore. No yeah. one really watches these things at the time that they air. We, we have these ability, we have the ability to record it or to catch it on catch-up or to watch clips of it on the internet. And so I think the days of this daily talk show are numbered, at least in the format that it is now. We've seen a bunch of YouTube yeah. stars like Dixie Emilio and David Dobrik and them trying to recreate these sorts of shows on the internet with a more YouTube theme, which okay. is much more in the kind of vlog style, more informal, more shorter clips. And they do they just do much better than these longer shows. Yeah. Um, my, my, I think my mind goes to Elon Musk hosting Saturday Night Live in this past week, which was a huge deal for Saturday Night Live. Okay. But all of the clips, that's what does well. It's not the it's not people watching the show live in that hour. Yeah. Um, and so I think those those changing consumer habits make me wonder if anyone is gonna step into Ellen's shoes or if the mm -hmm. format's just gonna shift entirely towards a more internet centric show. But then what happens to the networks? Uh, they still have to fill that time, right? You've still got the all those channels that are are counting on that sort of anchor slot. Just like we have malls that have kind of anchor stores that pull people there, uh, you have to have those anchor shows, um, you know, pulling the, the bulk of the attention and uh, I guess filling 
the, the rest of the, the time with, with fillers, I guess. But uh, the networks are surely going to have to fill it with something tangible, something meaning, meaningful at least. Yeah, Chad, I don't know. I mean, I think the networks go away over time. If I, yeah. if I, if I look at my age group and my friends, no one watches mm. any anchor shows on these, on these networks, yeah. right? Yeah. No one even knows what the networks are. It, it's, it's all about the show itself. And so there's no lo loyalty in our generation towards certain channels or certain networks in any mm. sense. It's very much like we're going to pick and choose the best shows that we like from Netflix, from Hulu, from Amazon Prime, from YouTube, whatever the story yeah. is, and kind of mismatch our own watching habits together and so i think these networks are in big trouble and I, I don't think it's any secrets and so how long they survive i don't know there's obviously still our parents generation and, and even older they, they are still kind of the, the the people that do watch these shows on a regular basis and so they will they will survive for a while but eventually i think it goes away chad because the internet is just too powerful for these networks yeah, I mean, that's a bold statement, but I, I, I agree with you. I, I, I totally think their days are, are numbered, certainly in the format that they currently are. I mean, we've seen a lot of these networks uh, start to offer in parallel kind of on-demand offerings. Uh, and so, you know, I think that, that that ability to watch something on demand uh, without the adverts, without all of the little bits that just keep you there unnecessarily and, and allow you to actually instead fill your time with more meaningful things, um, is definitely a pattern that we're seeing. Uh, and people are prepared to pay for that. That's that's the other thing. Um, and so, yeah, for me, it does. It does kind of bring into question uh, all of the, the TV licenses that you're paying across the world as well. Um, you know, live content that, that is not on the internet um, is, is, is certainly certainly an interesting space to watch. Talking about Elon uh, hosting Saturday Night Live, Barry, um, I... I, you didn't add anything onto the agenda, and I was very surprised by it um, because <laughs> I came across something. It may have normally slipped across my radar, Barry, um, but I had to. I had to. I had to. You know, you, we can't only talk about the positive crypto news. We also have to address the other side of the coin. Excuse the pun. It makes no sense <laughs> to me, Chad. It makes absolutely zero sense to me. And uh, I am as frustrated as all the other crypto nerds are around the world because of Elon Musk. Um, and so to fill everyone in, and, and thanks for bringing it up, Chad. I was trying <laughs> to avoid it, but thanks for bringing it up. Um, Absolute pleasure. So, so a couple of episodes ago, we chatted about how Elon Musk and Tesla, more specifically, had put over a billion dollars of, of uh, Bitcoin on their balance sheet, right? And they had invested all this, this money, and there was kind of a big step for the community, and they pushed the price up who knows how much because of this mainstream support. And uh, Elon Musk was very much into this. He was trolling. He was pushing some of these coins. He, the whole Dogecoin thing was, was a huge part of his, part of his kind of uh, motives. Yeah. And uh, they also announced at that time that you could buy a Tesla with Bitcoin. So you could log yeah. into the Tesla website, buy your, buy your Tesla and pay with Bitcoin, which was a big deal because as we know, Bitcoin's not really accepted in, in a mainstream way for transactions at the moment. You can't go to your grocery store and pay in Bitcoin just yet, right? Yeah. Um, and that's one of the one of the key reasons, one of the key skepticisms or, or criticisms of the currency is that it's not really a currency just yet. It's more just a store of value for the moment. Um, and they announced this week, or Elon announced this week, that they've done a full three and full 180 on that. And so all of a sudden they said, no, we, we, we're taking that away. We, you can't buy a Tesla with Bitcoin anymore. 
and the Bitcoin price dropped by something like 35% within a day Crazy. or two, Chad, wiping out huge amounts of, of people who were speculating on the price and who got very excited. And and they, they learned their lesson the hard way that this crypto thing is, is a roller coaster and you have to be ready for the ups and the downs. Mm -hmm. But it's a bit scary how one tweet or one kind of message from Elon can tank the price like it did. And the reason that they kind of came out with, the reason they, they are, are changing their minds is because of the energy usage, apparently, of what it takes to actually mine these Bitcoins and then to transact them between different wallets. And why this makes no sense to me, Chad, is that this is not a new problem. This is no. everyone who is invested in Bitcoin and has looked at this with any kind of level of, of um, seriousness knows about this. This is a well-known yeah. problem that everyone is trying to fix. And you cannot tell me that Elon didn't know about this beforehand. For sure. For sure. And so I just don't understand how you can make this sort of turnaround based on that reason. And that's why I'm a bit confused. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, this is the same guy that, uh, you know, has said various things about the SEC uh, and, and the same guy who, who doesn't seem to who doesn't seem to care about, uh, you know, changing values of his own shares or current cryptocurrencies. Uh, so much power, really, this one man has. Um, and, and you're right. I mean, that, that's the exact same thing that I thought about when I first heard of the story is, is surely, surely he knew about this then when uh, when the company bought the large amount of Bitcoin that they did. Um, and so, yeah, to, to try and think of some motive, to try and think of, of why this all happened in the order that it that it did, uh, it's it's perplexing to be completely honest. Uh, I mean, Tesla, as the company that is, you know, an, a green company, they're manufacturing electric cars. Um, you know, it 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 should have at that point in time already stood as a as a kind of uncharacteristic move. Um, but the thing that I find interesting, Barry, is is that the amount of crypto that they bought that Tesla is still holding on the balance sheet. Um, is is not going to be sold off. So as far as I understand, the the damaging effects of crypto is only when transactions are happening. So the fact that they've already gone and made that purchase um, and on, are kind of now not accepting or selling or transacting at all in the currency uh, is effectively going to kind of lock in their position, I guess, uh, certainly in terms of carbon emissions. Uh, and only at a future future date when, you know, I don't know how, but miners switch over to more sustainable energy. Uh, why I say I don't know how is it, it's not something you can coordinate. Uh, a miner could be Barry in his, uh, in his, in his living room, <laughs> you know. How are you going to coordinate that every miner has to uh, switch over to sustainable source of energy? Uh, but effectively, when that happens, uh, he's basically saying that they'll carry on and, and start accepting uh, and I'm sure whenever that happens uh, that that 35% drop is going to be way back up again yeah Chad it's 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 really complicated and you've picked up a couple different points there that I just wanted to like note yeah. the first one is that what what people sometimes don't realize is that a lot of Bitcoin miners are already using renewable energy in some way so a lot of them are already because because the cost of electricity to run these these Bitcoin mining operations is immense, and so mm. if you can use a renewable source, it's going to be cheaper for you. It's just a better economic decision, and so a lot of that is already happening, right? And that's that trend is going to continue going forward as as miners continue to move from from fossil fuel based electricity to renewable energy. The second piece is that the way the Bitcoin is structured is slowly going to change over time. 
you said you don't know how they would coordinate like how this works. Basically, all that needs to happen is 51% of the, the Bitcoin mining um, pool has to decide that we're going to go a different way. And what will happen is they'll do what's called a fork. And you'll have a okay. new chain of Bitcoin that kind of forks from the original one that is based on a new structure. And so okay. for the technically minded, at the moment, Bitcoin is, is the way it's worked is something called proof of, of work, which means yeah. that you, 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 you mine Bitcoin purely through processing power. The more you work, the more your computer works the more bitcoin you mine and we hopefully i think well maybe not hopefully but but my my gut feeling is it will move to something called proof of stake which is a much less energy intensive um, process that hopefully is a little bit more sustainable for environmental purposes but at the end of the day chad you cannot have this sort of technology that doesn't require energy because the amount of cryptography that goes into this to make it secure to make it completely decentralized like all the best parts of this bitcoin thing require energy and so the question that, that I don't see being asked enough is like, what are we comparing this to? Yep. Sure, it takes a lot of energy to mine a Bitcoin. And I completely understand that. That's something we need to fix. But what is the energy cost of the traditional financial system with all the thousands of intermediaries and all the, the, the thousands and thousands of, of, sure. of corporations in the middle of all of this thing? Like that's the comparison we have to be making if we if we do think Bitcoin's going to become some sort of new financial system. Um, and so th- this argument is so much more nuanced than Twitter people like to think. They'll see an Elon tweet and they'll just run away with things and, and make all these assumptions. And I just don't know. I mean, one of the things I really enjoyed was this conspiracy theory, Chad, that Tesla wanted the price to tank so they could buy more Bitcoin and then turn the decision around in a couple of months' time and make even more profits. And hey. knowing Elon, I wouldn't write that off. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like when you said it's a cons- conspiracy theory. Um, you know, where from from my vantage point, uh, it's highly possible. Um, but but yeah, really interesting. I think that the whole point there, Barry, is that both of these financial systems are running in tandem at the moment. So you have the old, uh, you know, traditional system with all the intermediaries and all the massive server farms and everything else that's required, uh, you know, to keep that system running. Um, you know, that's all currently happening, but you also have uh, the Bitcoin. And so I guess if you were to switch the one off and switch straight on to the next, uh, it, it might be, a, you know, more interesting, uh, well, less of a, you know, less of a close kind of argument um, or more of a close argument, sorry. I don't know what I'm, I don't know what I'm talking about today. Um, whereas now what, what you're kind of looking at, and I guess the reason why there is so much scrutiny on it is that people don't see it as that replacement system. It's seen as this kind of novelty currently. And so that energy is kind of wasted. I guess people view it as a, as a wasted or unnecessary uh, amount of energy. Whereas, as you say, if you were to switch all of the current existing uh, architecture off, it, it might be uh, you know, a different discussion altogether. It's a very astute point, and it talks to this idea of it depends on what time scale you're looking at, right? If you're looking at the next five years, then this Bitcoin thing can look like an environmental catastrophe because it is. The amount of power that keeps going, and it gets harder and harder every single year, right? More happens, the less Bitcoins there are to mine, and therefore the harder it is, so the more power is being spent or more energy is being spent rather. And so if you look at it on a five-year time frame, it's completely reasonable to say this is this is crazy. We need to stop because global warming is a serious concern. But at the other end of the spectrum, like innovation is what pushes society forward. So what the environmentalists sometimes like under 
underestimate is what this innovation can do for the longer term future when it comes to energy demands, right? So if it can um, be a much better financial system as some people believe it can, then it's a whole different discussion. And if we have to burn some some coal to get there, then maybe it's a trade-off worth having. But it's very hard for us to sit here and try and imagine what the financial system is going to look like in 100 years, Chad. Because we're not Absolutely. going to be here and we're not going to, it's going to happen so gradually. Like like you say, there's not going to be a switch where we once say, mm. one day say, cool, okay, cool. Uh, Barclays, we, we're done with you now. We're now moving to Bitcoin. It's, <laughs> it's not going to happen like that. It's going yeah. to be a very gradual process that as we kind of test things going forward. What, what I think it does open up a conversation for, Chad, is whether Bitcoin is actually going to be the winner. So obviously Bitcoin is the first mover and it was, it's the most popular one and it's got the, the biggest market cap at the moment. But there's an interesting analogy that I read the other day saying, what if Bitcoin is the AOL? What if it's kind of the first mover in a new space, but it quickly mm-hmm. becomes irrelevant because of its various flaws that are in this like version 1.0 of a new financial currency? And you've got new cryptocurrencies that are learning from Bitcoin's mistakes yep. and they're going to become much more powerful in the future. So what if Bitcoin is the AOL to some new currency that's become the Facebook or the Instagram or whatever the story is down the line? And so that's where it gets interesting is that if you're, if you're into cryptocurrency, it's, it's tempting to get so stuck on bitcoin as kind of your holy grail you know like the number one platform it doesn't have to be like that we could see a new currency come up tomorrow that um, solves a lot of these energy problems and still delivers the same features and who's to say that doesn't win over bitcoin fascinating certainly not the last time we're going to be talking about this as always folks uh, for the regular feature of elon musk slash bitcoin slash cryptocurrency slash barry in his happiest state ever uh, it'll certainly be back <laughs> on across the pond again barry you came across some stuff that happened this week uh why don't you talk me through all of that yeah, so two things on, on, on COVID-related stuff. We will keep it very brief because I know we often yep. go way too deep into COVID. Uh, the first one is that the CDC in the US made quite a staggering kind of change in guidance this past week, saying that in the US, if you're fully vaccinated, you can remove your masks in most outdoor okay. settings and some indoor settings. So okay. really exciting news for anyone in the States. I saw a hockey game over there that was packed to the rafters with people, wow. like thousands and thousands of people in the stadium without masks. And so, yeah, who knows what that's going to mean for how the U.S. handles their COVID situation. Who knows how many people are actually going to stick by the honor system and actually only do take off the mask when they've been vaccinated. Uh, Mm. So lots of questions there. But the official guidance is now you can take your masks off. And so, yeah, it's yet another step towards what hopefully is a, a new normal. But we'll have to wait and see whether that has any lasting effects and whether the, the other strains do eventually get over there and kind of start to infiltrate and how things change over time. But that's quite a big quite a big thing there. What do you think about that, Chad? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I, I almost wonder whether this is a direct response to the lack of uh, take-up from vaccines. Uh, the U.S. has been... Uh, you know, quite quite far behind on a lot of countries just in terms of uh, the, the, the hesitancy of, of taking taking vaccines. Uh, and so potentially this is kind of one more carrot, I guess, to offer uh, for those who do take one uh, for in exchange for some some freedoms. I mean, I do recall in, you know, just a couple of weeks ago watching a very heated exchange with uh, with Dr. Fauci and someone else in in Congress, uh, you know, defending double masks that there was another another thing we're talking about double masks masks and even though you've been vaccinated uh, still having to wear double masks so it's, it's really interesting to to see this evolution come so many weeks after seeing the, the those debates um and yeah especially when it when it is a 
sort of 180 degree turn like this. Uh, it, it, it is interesting. I don't know why people, uh, you know, don't just kind of uh, open themselves up to the possibility of something a whole lot sooner, uh, rather than just defending a position uh, and not hearing the evidence. Uh, you know that that's that is the the, the block to, to progress. I feel. To me, it feels like a very American problem. Is is this idea that we must have freedom at all costs, mm. and it, it's a very American idea to say that no one can tell me what to wear. If I don't want to wear a mask, I'm not going to wear a mask because that's the American way. Um, and so I think it's culturally they have a difficult time in the U.S. with authority because the way the states are kind of set up and every state is different, they can kind of do their own thing within their borders. It's very hard for a federal government to sit down and say, cool, these are the mandates, this, these are the rules. Yeah. And I think after over a year of this, a lot of, a lot of, the, a lot of the states are actually sick of it. And so if you think places like Texas and Florida and traditional Republican states, they haven't been wearing masks like really for the last couple of months. It's not like this is a new, new thing, right? Yeah, but for exactly. the CDC to come out and say the official guidance is that when you're fully vaccinated, you can take off the mask, that is quite a big deal. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we'll have to wait and see whether it's the right decision. I'm sure with hindsight, we'll be able to judge whether it was too soon or too late, Chad, and kind of what it does for the how the virus spreads. Um, but certainly good news from an American perspective, um, at least if, you, if you're tired of those masks, if you're tired of wearing that yeah. stuff around your face. And let's be honest, who isn't, honestly? Um, so that was the <laughs> first one. What was the second thing that you came across on the COVID front? So I'm cheating a little bit. I'm going back to crypto just, just a little bit, Chad, but um, a really big deal. Uh, Vitalik Buterin, who is the founder of Ethereum, and he's now, I think he's the, the richest person. He was the youngest billionaire ever or something crazy. He okay. is an absolute genius. He's one of the most, one of the smartest people I've ever like, listened to or read. I think he's absolute brilliant. And okay. he started Ethereum and so is worth something like $21 billion at the moment. Based, sure. it, it depends on the day, of course, because these things fluctuate so much. It's all paper money at this point. Yeah. Um, but what's quite, quite cool is that he's kind of a celebrity in the Bitcoin space or in the crypto space rather. And there was this, this cryptocurrency almost similar to Dogecoin called Shibacoin, which is that Japanese okay. hunting dog. It's like a similar dog oh, right. type meme. Okay. And so the Shibacoin, when the creator created it, he kind of gifted a whole bunch of these worthless coins to Vitalik because it's almost like a, a thank you for kind of starting the space and getting things going. And at the beginning, those coins were worth nothing. But over time, it grew and grew and grew. And eventually, it was worth hundreds of millions of dollars, Chad. Sure. And so he felt a little bit weird about just being gifted essentially hundreds of millions of dollars that these coins are worth. And so what he did was he liquidated all of it and, okay. and 500 Ether as well and donated $1 billion to the COVID relief fund in India. Oh, wow. Um, and if you read his blog post about why he did it, such a beautiful kind of articulation of this idea of this money. I didn't earn this money. I did nothing yep. to earn it. Yep. It was a gift. It, it, it was, it's in the shiba coin, which means like, who knows what, Chad, it could go down tomorrow. Like, mm. why would I not actually turn it into something real and donate it to people who desperately need it? And so I think it's one of the biggest philanthropic donations we've seen in the COVID, COVID era. It's yep. a huge, huge deal for a 20 two-year-old or 23-year-old to donate $1 billion wow. to COVID relief in India. So it's really special to see. Unfortunately, if you were holding Shiba coin, the price went down over 50% 50, 50 after <laughs> you sold all these coins. Um, so hopefully you weren't holding Shiba, Chad. But luckily, we saw a billion dollars going to India, which is really cool to see. Yeah, just to uh, yeah to address your concerns, Barry. I I currently don't and have never held a cryptocurrency, so don't you worry. 
uh, I was not holding Shiba, but but thankfully he was, and thankfully, uh, you know, all that money is going to India. My my only question, I mean, I love these kind of donations, but the natural question is is where how does that money get converted into something tangible that's actually going to help? Uh, you know, w- with everything as it's happening right now, you know, they need help now. Um, and so, you know, money is great. It's, it's, it's liquid. You can, you know, move really quite quickly on it. But uh, when you need oxygen and ventilators and all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, how, how's that all going to work? I mean, are we, uh, is this a silly question to ask or should we just be happy um, that this amount has been donated? No, it's, it's, a, it's a right question to ask. And I, I don't have a good answer, Chad. I think it's, yeah. it's, very, it's easy to do the money part, like you say. It's easy to write the check. It's much harder to actually make that, make that work on the ground. Mm. Uh, I, I know the fund that he donated to is a specific uh, crypto COVID relief fund. So they have been accepting donations of all sorts of cryptocurrencies. Okay. And I believe it's quite reputable. So I'm assuming it's doing good stuff. Cool. But like you say, you can't buy life, right? It's it's very much you you can't buy you can't buy life. You have to kind of yeah. try and put that to work in in various ways, and uh, yeah, I mean, the more resources they have, the better they'll be able to cope. Um, and hopefully, it goes to the people who desperately need it because yeah, India is in a tough a tough space at the moment. Yeah, I hope so. Well, thanks for bringing that one up as well, Barry. Uh, just when I try and knock crypto down, we've got another point propping it up. <laughs> uh, but I love it. I love it. Um, let's then move on, Barry our next segment stuff i found interesting again we're not going to spend a super long time here but uh the natural question for all of us who have been on these easing lockdowns uh who have you know kind of unconventionally spent a full year and more at home working in the weirdest most wonderful places um, with varying degrees of productivity depending on who you speak to depending on how many people uh, live with those people Um, it's been a very different experience um, you know depending on people's kind of you know personal circumstances I guess Uh, and so the 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 evolution of the working world um, has been something we've kind of touted a couple of times on on the podcast because it's uh, I it, it it's it's so interesting for me Barry it's so fascinating how we could have lived for so long under the the existing system um, and it feels like it's overnight I know it's not overnight it's been more than a year um, but in the bigger scheme of things it is fairly overnightish i guess um and yeah now you have all of these announcements about hybrid working flexible working all of this kind of stuff and the next one uh, that that crossed my radar this week is the um the accountancy firm audit firm advisory firm tax firm whatever you want to call them bdo um basically giving guidance to the employees saying that they can work wherever they want uh, after the pandemic so essentially putting the onus on the employee and saying, well, you know where you're most productive, you know where you need to be. Uh, The judgment's on you, really. Um, And I think that's a really nice approach. I mean, loads of companies have been setting kind of maximums or minimums, uh, time in office, bum in seat. Uh, We saw KPMG saying a max of four days in the office over two weeks, which is is not a lot, Barry. Four days over two weeks. uh, (laughs) That's your maximum. That's the most office time you get. Um, You know, that I find really quite interesting. PwC, uh, also a competitor, Big Four, uh, has said two to three days in the office each week. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just find this is a fascinating, uh, you know, area to watch. I certainly think it's going to be um, kind of a tool that companies use now in the future as well 
to to keep talent as well because you know a lot of people feel quite strongly about this topic it kind of makes me think chad that i i get this feeling that when we have kids one day we're gonna be telling our kids back in our day <laughs> back when we were young we used to go into an office five yeah. days a week for eight hours at a stretch and yeah. sit in our cubicle and drink the shitty coffee and <laughs> and do all that good stuff uh, because it's going to be obsolete and like you say this new flexible kind of work remotely when you want mm. go into the office when you want lifestyle is going to become more commonplace I mean, we've seen so many big companies kind of announce these sorts of rules, Chad, and these sorts of guidelines to say, yeah. wherever you're most productive, you go and make it happen. And I think it's really cool to see. I think it's harder than people realize, having worked at home by myself for so long now, yeah. it takes some getting used to. It doesn't automatically sure. kind of switch over. And you go through this weird moment of the novelty is fun for like the first month or two, and then you start to realize, oh, I actually miss a bit of that social connection. Of I actually miss yeah. being able to... Uh, banter with your your mates over the cubicle and whatnot. Yeah. So it certainly takes some getting used to, but in my opinion, it's it's very good because it helps you live a more balanced life in a sense. To be able to structure your day in a, in a in a much more efficient way that works for you. Being able to go to the gym in the middle of the day, for example, yeah. is, is a great use case because you f you feel much better. You get that gym session in. You're more productive mm -hmm. as a result. It's just a win win all round. Um, but it's going to take, take a while for certain managers and certain leadership structures to yep. get their heads around this. Um, because I, I don't know about you, Chad, but I've worked for managers in the past <laughs> where there were very beady eyes. And if you oh. weren't in your desk, there was this serious guilt that was put on you yep. regardless of your work. Yep. And so I, I fear for those, for those poor people who are working under terrible managers because they're going to have a tough time kind of justifying their, their remote work, Chad completely completely agree and uh you know I, I think i think that is that has been a, a big challenge but the, the one positive thing i think is that what this year has proven uh for 99 percent of companies is that you know employees are motivated and employees can do it uh you know people can be trusted uh, this this talks to your point barry of of people <laughs> imagine being that. Imagine, <laughs> imagine that imagine that just imagine that um i mean you know majority of companies have uh you know held to deadlines a lot of companies had productivity boosts um you know this is all anecdotal but uh, i have no doubt we're going to be seeing a whole bunch of studies released uh, with some actual results coming through after this long period of time. Uh, and I think during this period of time, Barry, I think all of those managers that you talk about have maybe slightly changed their stance a little bit. Uh, I mean, I, I imagine you still get some degree of, uh, you know, people wanting to keep an eye on you and make sure that you're at your desk, so to speak, through other ways, which I guess, uh, you know, managers would, would maybe use use chat, uh, you know, and that's become a thing now at work is, is chat apps, Slack, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I'd like to think that some managers have, have tweaked uh, their managerial style of this last year. They have to, right? If they're going to retain top talent, if they're going to retain uh, the millennial generation and Gen Z mm. and Gen whatever gens are coming after us, <laughs> they're going to have to be able to change that, right? Because that sort of working environment can become a competitive advantage. If you're able to offer your staff Absolutely. this level of flexibility and this level of trust and, and all these things, that's going to become a much more important part of it than just the money, right? If you're forced to go into an office and you you're forced to sit in, under terrible working conditions, then you want to get paid a lot because that's the only reason you're there in a sense. Whereas yeah. if you're able to kind of get that flexibility and get a better work-life balance, maybe that is worth more than a little extra Absolutely. salary bump. Yeah. And so the managers who aren't able to adapt and who kind of drive their employees crazy are going to lose out. It's, it's definitely a trend you have to be on the right side of. 
Um, and I think it also comes down to the employees being able to stand up for themselves and kind of set boundaries, right? That's one thing that I've I've seen within my friends is that yep. a, a big a big kind of determinant as to how how much someone enjoys their job is how much they're able to stand up for themselves. Absolutely. And so I've got friends who don't stand up for themselves and they let themselves get walked over and they're taking phone calls at eight on a mm. Saturday night yep. and they're kind of answering emails at who knows when. And yep. they're setting the wrong precedent and therefore hating their job. Whereas I've also got friends on the other side who say, no, 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 I'm going to protect my leisure time. I'm going to protect yep. my time with my family. And, and, that, and that makes for a much happier environment. So it's got to come from both sides. The managers have yep. got to adapt to this new world of work. But also if you're an employee and you're kind of in this environment, you've got to stand up for yourself and say, listen, this is where I'm willing to bend. This is where I'm going to put hard stops in. Yep. And I can, I can actually take control of my life for the first time, which is exciting. That's crucial. That is a crucial point, and we could spend a whole episode talking all about that, because um, I, I do think that that is a characteristic of a lot of successful people. Is uh, you know not all of the time, and not excessively so. Um, you know, you don't want to just kind of go go around bashing against the wall, um, but you, you certainly do have to be able to to stand up for yourself um, in a in a very constructive way. Uh, you know, with with candor. Uh, and tact. I think it's a really important uh, characteristic to have. And uh, I think it's one we're going to be seeing a lot more of, especially in this flexible working world. And, and as you touch on, on our generation, um, I, I certainly think we're going to drive this change going forward as well. Barry, let's then cast our eyes to the future in Looking Ahead. Looking Ahead. Not Chad, this is a very exciting one, one that we've chatted about a little bit in the past. And we're talking about a malaria vaccine. So I don't know if you remember a couple of episodes ago, we chatted about how this kind of COVID vaccine process has opened up whole new levels of experimentation for vaccines of other diseases. And malaria being a key one because it is the biggest killer the world has ever seen from a numbers perspective. And I came across this really fascinating article. This is not exactly the same vaccine as what we chatted about a couple of weeks ago, Chad, but okay. it's another another type of vaccine that's being trialed in Ghana, in Kenya, and in Malawi at the moment. And as far as I, at, at the time of recording, there's been more than 650,000 children who've been given this wow. vaccine or given doses of this vaccine. And they're going to track these things and see what happens over time. So hopefully, Chad, if this has some sort of positive result and we see some good good stats coming out of this, this can be a really big step forward when it comes to to fighting against malaria. And malaria still is a ginormous killer in this in, yeah. in the world, and specifically in Africa, Chad. Uh, the latest stats I've got here is that they're estimated about 230 million malaria episodes every single year, wow. and about 400,000 deaths coming from that. And mm. over 90% of those deaths are happening in sub-Saharan Africa. So it is a big, big problem that Africa is dealing with, but incredibly exciting to see vaccines being trialed in, in the way that they are. And I'm just going to be holding thumbs and watching this space, yeah. Chad. Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned this as a, as a side benefit from, from this new technology. And like you say, we, we kind of innovate to, to meet demand. Um, and uh, I mean, wonderful, wonderful news to see this. I mean, 650,000 children is a massive number. So hopefully we see some really positive news coming out of that uh, it would be wonderful just to eliminate unnecessary suffering unnecessary death um, and like you say in a in a region of the world um, that is already kind of trying to play catch up in, in so many fronts uh, this is certainly not a not a great kind of obstacle to to constantly be fighting against yeah, definitely. It's one of the biggest factors that leads to the high infant mortality rates in, in Africa, 
right? Um, I think about 60% of, of malaria deaths are children under the age of two or three. So wow. it's very, very young infants who don't have a chance at life. And if you're able to kind of give that, give those mothers, give those parents a way to protect those children, it makes a big difference to the way that they look at, they look at their communities and they look at their world, right? Um, and so anything we can do to try and help that is going to be a huge deal. Malaria has, of, of course, been eradicated in most places around the world. There's, there's only Africa's kind of the place that's left. But it still is a ginormous problem, way bigger than in some other some other. Um, diseases that get more airtime and more publicity malaria has just been the silent one that's been under the radar for so long and even though with people like the gates foundation putting a lot of efforts behind it and trying to get bed nets as as best as possible a vaccine is a much more sustainable solution if you get it right right instead of trying to distribute bed nets to every single bed across africa if you can get the vaccines right you start to bring those malaria cases down and down and down that has compounding effects going forward because once you bring the malaria rates below a certain kind of critical mass, mm. then it doesn't spread. Like those those mosquitoes aren't around in those areas anymore, and you kind of yep. you can almost kill the disease for for a major for a major um, part of it. So hopefully it goes the way of smallpox and whatnot, as diseases that we eradicate from the earth. And if we do, Chad, it might be one of the biggest humanitarian successes of this century. Let's watch the space. Uh, I I do hope, Perry, that in a year's time we we look back on this episode. Um, and uh, and report some really positive stuff. Well, that's kind of very macro. Let's now look inward and talk about ourselves. Develop and grow. So, Chad, we're going to go back a little bit to what we we're chatting about working at home environments, but this time mm. talking about me in specific. And I alluded to the fact that I've been now been working at home by myself for over two and a half years now. And yep. so I've been through the rocky and the rolling. I've been through the ups and the downs of the, <laughs> the chaos that comes from working for yourself and working at home. And I had an interesting epiphany the other day, um, and I wanted to share it with you and get your thoughts, Chad. When I, how do I start this? I needed a screen, right? I've been working on this MacBook Air for a long time. Yep. And uh, it's, it's lovely. It's a great machine, but it's got a very small screen, unfortunately. And Chad, you'll know when you're working with big spreadsheets or when you're yep. doing, trying to do research and you're trying to split screen, it doesn't really work on a tiny screen. And so I messaged Chad and I said, Chad, dude, help me out here. What screen should I get? And he sent me all sorts of amazing information. And I went out and I purchased a brand new screen, which I've thoroughly enjoyed. It's been really yeah. good for me because it's been able to give me more real estate. It's awesome. kind of allowed me to put my research on one side and my writing on the other side. And it's been absolute productivity, like amazing. It's been really good. Awesome. But there's been a side effect, Chad, that I didn't expect, <laughs> right? And uh, I wanted to chat to you about it. Ever since I put that screen on that desk, I've kind of been locked to that desk in a way that mm. I wasn't before. When I when I had just my laptop and I was living this nomadic lifestyle, I would go to a coffee shop and work for a bit. I would go change rooms and work for a bit. I'd go and sit outside for a bit and work. And I was constantly changing my environment because I could. My whole setup yeah. was portable. And that gave me a lot of benefit because when I got tired in one environment, I could then move to another. And I really valued that at the time. And even though it was annoying to only have that small real estate, it was nice to be able to switch locations like that. Ever since I've had the screen, I haven't been doing that anymore. And what I found is that I get into this bad habit sometimes of spending four or five hours sitting in that same spot without moving a muscle, Mm. kind of my muscles wasting away, my brain getting foggy, staring at that same screen because it feels silly now to work anywhere else without the screen now that I have the screen. <laughs> and so it was just a yeah. reminder to me of how our environment dictates 
how we work in a way that not even conscious. It wasn't a decision that I made. It just kind of happened that way. And I wonder if you've had any similar experiences, Chad, with how your environment kind of crafts the way that you work. And uh, yeah, what do you think? Big time, big time. I think it's I think it's a, a key point. Uh, I mean, I was really excited when you finally did want to get on the screen bandwagon. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm glad you've seen the benefits of it because, you know, there certainly is, uh, you know, countless benefits of having resolution to be able to play around with. Um, and, uh, yeah, and as, I guess it, it always depends on what it is you're working on. Um, you know, obviously we went into the specifics and, you know, because text was, was your, uh, you know, your big thing, some of the kind of color aspects were, were less important, but, but to have that resolution and that, that real estate, uh, is undoubtable, uh, undoubtedly really valuable. Um, but you're completely right. And I mean, the whole reason why you've got a, a laptop that docks into a screen is that it still is a laptop, Barry, and you can still use it <laughs> in the same ways you wanted to before. Now, I know, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of being a bit hypocritical here, to be, to be fair, um, because when I had my desk set up, and uh, I do miss it, yes, um, I would <laughs> use my laptop 99% of the time, closed up, kind of clamshell style, um, with the, uh, the you know, cord plugged into the side, and uh, and I I never used it as a laptop, uh, and whenever I did, Barry, like whenever I would go traveling or whatever the case is and I had the laptop open it was always a refreshing moment to me to you know to be able to <laughs> I, I I thoroughly enjoyed it I kind of interacted with my computer in a in a, in a whole different way um, and so I, I guess it does it does talk to the variety and, and just in terms of your environments as well um, you know part of why I think this hybrid working is going to be so great is because we like change in scenery as well we we, we don't like kind of getting bored and uh, you know, having the same old, we, we don't we don't want to be running on hamster wheel at the end of the day and, and not going anywhere. So to, to constantly have changing environments um, is, is, I think, powerful for us and, and our productivity and our ability to concentrate and focus and uh, get some novelty out of work that might be the same. Um, so, yeah, I guess my advice would, would be to, to try and still use it as a laptop. Um, I mean, some of the problems in, in these screens is, is you might get a screen that has a resolution that's higher than the resolution your laptop has, uh, in which case you, you kind of find yourself not wanting to, to gravitate towards the laptop. But in that case, uh, maybe it's time for an upgrade, Barry. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if, that, I don't know if that's the particular uh, sort of use case. Um, but I mean, you, when you were mentioning this, I, I kind of thought about my route home uh, home loosely spoken, undisclosed location as always. Um, on my route home, Barry, I, I kind of hadn't prepared, you know, a whole bunch of notes. And so what I did just when I was leaving the office is opened a whole bunch of, uh, of tabs on my iPad, hopped onto the tube, had the iPad on my lap. Of course, now the iPad has its own keyboard as well. I'm just showing it over here. So iPad has its own keyboard as well. Popped that on my lap and it's such a great experience, actually, sometimes just being able to, uh, like you say, have a, a completely different environment, um, but uh, yeah, portable, portable device. And I'm still, I'm still waiting for the day that the iPad kind of takes over. And I think now that we've got this M1 trip coming to the iPad very soon, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we, we soon at the day where you plug the iPad into your, your docking station and, and that is your PC. What do you think? A lot of things that I, that I unloaded there. Sorry. <laughs> No, no, it's all good, but I agree with all of them. I think you're spot on. Um, and I think the epiphany that I had was that I was being silly in two ways. The first way is that I was falling victim to the sunk cost fallacy. 
I had this yeah. idea that because I bought the screen for a lot of money, I had to get the most out of it. I should use yeah. it as much as possible, right? But the, once the money is spent, the money is spent, and I've got to do exactly. whatever it takes to be as productive as possible. So that's the first piece. And the second piece I was being silly is that if you batch your tasks correctly, you can get away with not needing the screen, right? Not yeah. everything I do requires the real estate. There are certain parts of my business and of, of the work that I do that doesn't need like two split screen things. Yeah. And so if I can do that batching we chatted about in a previous episode and focus when I'm doing hardcore writing, which needs research, do that at the screen. But then later in the day, maybe it's worth going out to a coffee shop or going to a co-working mm. space and going to do emails or, or some other stuff that doesn't require the screen necessarily and getting the most out of that. Because like you say, there's something special about taking your laptop, Definitely. popping open at a, at a mug and bean and kind of getting an hour or two of work there. It's just it's much more pleasant environment. Mm. And it would get me out of that space that I'm in uh, constantly staring at that screen. And so I think it's it's something that I I definitely want to try for the coming weeks and see if I can get some more inject some more uh, randomness and serendipity into my yep. into my workspace because otherwise you lose out on all the benefits of this remote working because essentially Absolutely. what I've done yep. is I built a cubicle for myself at home <laughs> that's all I've done right and so the, the trick is to only use that cubicle it's in not not be sit, sat there for eight, nine hours a day, but actually take advantage mm. of the fact that I do have the flexibility to move around and whatnot. And uh, yeah, this idea that I have to use the screen for everything is just silly, like you say. 100%, 100%. I mean, if, if I think about some of the creation stuff I do on the iPad, uh, which is a much smaller screen than the 27-inch that I have, much smaller screen than the 15-inch I'm currently standing in front of, um, I have a lot of fun creating stuff on the iPad. Like whenever I script a, a video for YouTube or whatever the case is, that is where I do it. When I'm doing notes for across the pond, that is where I'm doing it. Um, you know, even when, I, when I'm doing some, some sort of photo editing or video editing, I like sort of starting stuff over there and then moving it onto the bigger screens when, when that extra detail or that extra um, you know, level of preciseness is needed. Um, so yeah, I think we, we need to again intentionally think about the devices we use them are we using when we use them and what we use them for um to try and get the most out of all of those all of those things uh and yeah in terms of intentionality this is is definitely one of those things to do that's exactly the right word is being intentional and kind of thinking yep. a bit deeper about what you're doing and not just letting random emo environmental things like determine how you're going to work but actually deciding cool like you say this type of task it might be more pleasant and more productive to get my brain out of this mode into a different mode at a different location yeah. um, and so i've been toying with the idea of maybe trying one of these co-working space and help give me another cool. another area to go and spend my time it might help to kind of get that blur between my personal life and my mm. work life a bit bit better um, in place and make sure that I'm not kind of bringing work home in a sense. So I'm yeah. toying with that idea and we'll have to see how I'll report back as I make decisions cool. in that respect. Um, but just an interesting realization that our environment has such a huge impact on the way we work. Massive. And so anything you can do to improve that environment, to change out that environment, to kind of put yourself in the best possible space to work actively should be doing. So whether that's making it super aesthetic, whether it's making sure you've got your right cup of coffee, whether it's making yep. sure the chair is super comfortable, all of these components are crucially, crucially important because they have a much bigger um, impact on the way we work than we'd like to admit. Absolutely. So important, uh, especially as you all live out the rest of uh, what is going to be uh, sort of observed uh, post-pandemic. Let's hope we can actually reach post-pandemic. Barry, we've reached to the end of our agenda today. I think we're right on time as well. 
along that one hour sweet spot, um, I've been kind of steering us along to try and get us there and, and we managed to get there. Uh, so that's it for episode 78. Uh, have you Have you had a good one? I have, Chad. It's been a really good chat. Uh, lots of cool conversations. You managed to steer me not too much into the Bitcoin de- quicksand, so I appreciate that, keeping things relatively uh, relatable. Uh, awesome. and so I'm very grateful for everyone who has made it this far. If you're listening or yep. watching live or after the fact, we really appreciate you. And Chad, we're almost at 100 YouTube subscribers, which is very exciting. Indeed. I don't know if you saw that. I did. I did see that. And so, yeah, I, I encourage all of you who listen to our show every week, uh, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to us. Uh, if you've never watched us before, just just scroll a little. Just look in your in the episode show notes. Just click on that little link where it says switch to video. That yeah, that that yep, that one. Just just click it, um, and and hit subscribe, please. Hit subscribe. We want to get get to hundred and and beyond um, to grow our tribe. Uh, but that's it for today. Thank you as always, Barry. I really appreciated it, and uh, yeah, look forward to the next one but that's it for episode 78 of across the pond we'll be back as always next week across the pond.